Hey, everybody, and welcome to Learning from Smart People. I am your host, Rob Oliver, and today my guest is Corey Poirier. He is a multiple-time TEDx, Mo Mondays, and PMX speaker. He is also the founder of Blue Talks and the author of the book of Why and How. Corey, thank you for joining me on the show today. Well, thank you. It's uh, it's an absolute pleasure. I'm, I've been waiting for this all day, so I'm, I'm super stoked. Oh, fantastic. And I, I will apologize because somehow I think that when I was saying your name there, I combined your first and last name together and you became Courier. And I, I'm not sure how that worked, but I appreciate your grace in uh, putting up with my occasional stumbles. So, ah, so what I, the reason I wanted to kind of get you on and, and have you share today, you've got some expertise in doing what are what we refer to as branded talks right that tedx mo mondays and pmx now pmx is something i'm not familiar with can let's start off with just can you tell me what that is yeah so it's it's definitely the lesser known of the three and it's it's kind of a hybrid thing so what pmx is is there's a big conference called podcast movement i don't know if you've heard of that conference uh it's a big uh, conference for podcasters, about 2,000 podcasters typically attend each year. Now, obviously COVID year, they're doing it online this year, so I don't know what the numbers will be like, Right. but uh, they had their own kind of TEDx thing they launched called PMX, so Podcast Movement X, essentially. Got it. And so it was their version of a branded talk. Fantastic. So first of all, let me just ask the question this way. Apart from kind of being able to say, I gave a TEDx talk or I gave a PMX talk. What is the real benefit or what is the what is the reason why people either should want to or should think about what they're going to talk about if they are going to do a TEDx or one of these branded discussions? So, you know, I definitely think for some people it is that I did a TEDx talk. You know, that's what they get from it. Uh, for me, was never about that in fact the first one i did i didn't even tedx or ted talks were just kind of starting to take off and so i didn't even really have any frame of reference as to why do this talk that what happened was somebody said you need to be on a ted stage and i didn't even really know what it was and i did some uh exploring and researching found out what it was and so for me at the time why i decided i wanted to be on that stage and then i'll, I'll dive into uh, you know, how I prepared and all that kind of stuff. But why I, I wanted to be on the stage was I loved the idea of what their premise was, which is basically let's, uh, let's share ideas that are worth spreading. Let's share ideas that could maybe, just maybe, change the world. And I loved that idea. And these are, you know, 18-minute or less talks. So I love the idea for the first time being able to deliver a short talk like that. Sure. And, and in that, I mean, you've really got to, pack your content and you've got to, you know, you got to take out all the fluff. And, and listen, I, I have an understanding of this because as a speaker myself, I know that um, so it's a lot easier to fill a 90 minute presentation than it is to give a five minute presentation because a five minute presentation, it, it's not a matter of like you cut off the, be cut off the beginning and you cut off the end and then you condense the middle. It really has to be well, you're Canadian, so you have this understanding of maple syrup, right? That you take the maple syrup and you have to boil it off until you boil off all the water and you end up with the essence 
of what it is and the taste is sweet because if if you're tasting it just as it comes out of the tree it, it doesn't have that same flavor you've kind of got it and, and that to me is the essence of what happens with some of these short talks does that make sense to you yeah, it absolutely does. And you're right. You can't just kind of cut and cut and go, okay, now I got five minutes left. You can't like take a 90 minute talk or 45 minute talk and cut out that 85 or 40 minutes and say, here, five minutes left. It's going to be awesome. I mean, you have to actually do, put all the stuff you did into that 90 minute talk and, and view it the same way as a completed talk and say, how can I do that same thing in five minutes? Like, how is that even possible? And so I, and it's funny you said five minutes because I have three TED talks and the third one is my five minute one. And that was obviously the biggest challenge. And going into it, I'm like, can I even share a full story in five minutes? I'm, I'm intrigued. And turns out you can, but it was absolutely a big challenge, but I used the exact same structure as if I was creating a keynote. It was just, I was creating a baby keynote, I'll call it. Sure. Uh, yeah, it's almost a keynote vignette. Uh, so you've talked about two things that I, I kind of, let's start at the beginning and that is you're talking about structuring your your talk. Can you, at first, anyone who's interested in doing one of these style talks, you have a, do you have a suggestion for them as to how they structure it? Or can you tell us about how you structured yours to make it easier to, I guess, pitch to the, the folks that are arranging and organizing this? Yeah, so there's, in some ways, there's a lot to unpack there because there's a way I approach uh, TEDx talks in terms of the pitch and yes the talk obviously is important the topic is important but there's some other elements that are even more important for instance you actually realizing it's an organizing committee that you're pitching to and you actually approaching that the way you would approach a human rather than going I'm going to submit my application and hope for the best what I'm what I typically suggest is you need to get to meet the organizers which is on its own there's a science to figuring out who the organizers are but they need to know your name if you're going to increase your odds. So on one hand, I, I feel even before you plan to do the talk, let's say if they're starting to look for speakers two months before they, the deadline, I would start building a relationship immediately, even maybe even before you have your talk title ready, even before you have a topic ready. So on one hand, the pitch side is one aspect. The other hand is uh, crafting the talk, whether it's for your pitch or crafting it for the stage. And so what I do is a thing I call my spider method, which I learned in my days of stand-up comedy. And the gist of it is, is that if you were to take a piece of paper, so hopefully everybody can visualize this, put a circle, a big circle in the center. Uh, it doesn't have, it doesn't cover the whole paper, but just a circle in the center. And let's, I'll give you an example, but let's say your talk is going to be around customer service. And let's say you were going to give the talk um, in, I'm just going to say do a tourism association. So then the center, you're going to write customer service, and then you're going to write the name of the client. And this is the body of your talk. So this is my main core body, who I'm going to deliver to, what it's going to be about. And then I'm going to draw a leg from it. That's why I call it the spider method. And so in this case, if I want to have three main points, let's say it's just short talk, then I'm going to have three legs of my spider. So it's going to be a lopsided spider, but three legs of my spider. And each of those legs, I'm going to come up with a story that I want to share that's going to uh, instill that point from that leg. So for example, I'll use an example so people can visualize this. Let's say I wanted to do that talk on uh, tourism. Uh, to tourism about customer service, I might use examples from Disney, let's say, because I've had a lot of good experiences at Disney, customer service experiences, that is. And so I lost my car at Disney, my rental car. I couldn't find it in the parking lot. And it's a big parking lot. And so I went in thinking, I got this. I came out realizing I don't got this at all. And I went over to the lady holding the CB after looking for like a half hour for my car. 
I had the rental car, so I was clicking the button and it wasn't close enough. So I went over to this girl and I said, can you help me? And she goes, did you lose your car? And I said, does this happen? She goes, every 15 minutes. And then she pointed to a guy up top of the hill and said, see that guy? He'll be down here 15 minutes from now looking for his car. And I said, so you can help me? She said, I sure can. What time did you get here? And I said, let's say 1130. She got on the CB and said, Adam, what cars were you parking between 1115 and 1145? And he said, let's say Fantasia Mickey. And she said, oh, car, your car's right over there. Right. And so then I went over, clicked the button, found my car in two minutes. My point of that, Rob, is that that could be a story I give as an example of having a customer service system in place for whenever things go wrong. So Disney has a system in place if you lose your car. So my point when I'm crafting a talk is I'm going to come up with three of those legs. One's going to be the story I'm going to share. Two is going to be the point. And then I'm going to have three of those legs where I do the same thing for all three. And then those three should support my overall one takeaway message. So that's what I do when I'm crafting a talk. Okay. And I think that one of the things that you've hit on there, and again, there's a, as you said, there's a lot to unpack. For each of your points, you, are, you have a story that reinforces that. Why do you think the power of story is so important? Yeah. So I, I think first, I mean, for why, and I'll say, I think it's everything, but why I feel it goes back to our roots. I mean, at the end of the day, what did we do whenever we lit the campfire at night? For best we know anyway, is we told stories. Uh, what did we find when we went into caves that were built back in the day? We found stories on the walls. I really think we were built to share stories and spread messages, which again is probably why Ted appealed to me, the ideas, uh, messages were sharing and spreading. But I, I really feel the why is because it's how we learn best, because it's always how we learned best. And it, it's evolved and continue to evolve, but it hasn't changed. Um, you know, if you go back 400 years in Shakespeare, sharing stories in the park, you know, 400 years ago, and it was still, it still is relevant today. And so I believe that's the why. Um, and then to the point of stories, I believe it's everything. I, 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 I'll put it this way. I've, I've shared this often when people say to me, you know, content's everything. And I'll say, no, it's not. Content is very important. As they say, content is king. But I'll always add to people, but emotional connection when you're on the stage is queen. And in almost every castle I go into, the queen rules the castle. So you better make sure you're connecting as well. So stories tell is, impo is important, but, and content is important, but I also think it's how you do it. How do you connect with the audience through your story? How are you telling the story? Do you know, and this is a huge thing, what parts to leave out? Because the truth is we don't need to know what color the shirt the person was wearing, probably, for you to tell us the full story. Right. No, it, it's so interesting that you say that because the story is, a, the story is what connects us emotionally because when you're talking and we'll just use your lost car story as a, everybody has had the experience, of, you know what it feels like to lose your car or to have lost something. And you have, you ha it makes an emotional connection. I can imagine myself being at Disney and you imagine yourself in the huge parking lot and, and that it elicits a, an emotional connection, an emotional understanding where I'm saying, okay, I can feel this. I can, and then the next step is as you have that person and that guides you in and helps you to solve the problem. One of the cool things about the way that you tell that story is that's not a story about you being a hero. That's a story about your vulnerability and someone else is the hero of that story. And what your, what your message to them is, it's not a message that says, be like me and you can be the hero of the story, but it's if you can be like the other person, if you can be like the lady with the CB, 
then you are helping the people like me who have the problems and you get to be the hero of the story. Does that make sense to you at all? Yeah, it does. And I'm glad you brought it up, Rob, because another thing people ask me about if, you know, what are the things I need to know to tell a good story? And, you know, I mentioned not sharing the stuff that we don't need to know is huge. And a lot of people can't trim that stuff out. Another thing is I believe in the rule of threes. If you can you work in threes, if you can share stuff in threes, that's why I said three stories earlier. That's super powerful. But you hit on another thing I think a lot of people don't realize, and it's the power of making sure you have a hero and a villain in your story. But the key thing, which we, a lot of people right away think hero and villain, they think person. Uh, they, a lot of people don't realize the hero and villain don't have to be a person. You know, so uh, if, if somebody in your, if you're, let's say you battled cancer, you conquered cancer, cancer might be the villain in that story. Maybe right. you get to choose. Um, and you might be the hero or hope might be the hero or the doctor might be the hero. But my point is there always should be a hero and a villain. And why is that? People love to have somebody or something to cheer for. And people love to have somebody or something to throw rocks at. That's, that's what it boils down to. Yeah. And, and you are so right in this, that in that particular story that you tell the, the villain is not really anyone. It's the it's the vastness of the parking lot. It's the confusion of the play. It's the it's the overall experience, and yet the, that is it's something that we've all either dealt with personally or have something similar that we can imagine. And yeah, it makes makes a whole lot of sense. So, I, the way that you tell stories, the way that you line them up, can you tell me more about that concept of delivering things in threes? I, what do you what goes into that and is it just a matter of like everything that you do you have to do three different times or three different ways or how does that work for you yeah i love that you asked that and also you know one of the other things you asked that i kind of jumped over a little bit or glossed over a bit is yes within the story i am also looking deep enough to say who is benefiting from the story meaning i tell the story uh to kick off some of my talks about when i first got into stand-up comedy and how, and the short version, I mean, this is like the two second version of a story that's usually five minutes, but the gist of it is the end result is I got on the stage, I told two jokes, didn't get any laughs, first time I was ever on a stage in my life, only to find out that the mic wasn't turned on in the first place. And so I, I bring people through the story and I started out saying, how many people here would get on a stand-up comedy stage tonight if I could get you a gig? Well, a lot of people don't realize when they hear that story, there's layers and layers of why I'm doing this stuff. For instance, I'm saying how many people get on a stage by show of hands and putting my hand up because I want to take them out of their uh, distraction mode. I want to pull them in. Somebody just asked us a question. We better think about this in case he asks us directly. And so there, there's a whole bunch of elements. And the story about me performing stand-up and the pie landing on my face is, again, to your point, it hopefully puts the person in the audience in there. Well, I can only imagine if I had to perform stand-up with no notice and so on and so forth. So yes, there is uh, a bigger reason behind why I'm sharing the stories the way I am. Uh, in terms of the rule of three, which is what I call it, I learned it in stand-up as well. And if you think about this, and not all stand-up comics will do it because some people actually use the rule against the rule. So in other words, most comics will work in threes, meaning if they're telling, a, if they're telling jokes about pets, they'll talk about a dog, a goldfish, and a cat. You know, they'll actually share three parts of the joke. And, and they want to get three separate laughs, but it's a part of a bigger segment if you will or or part of their bit and so that's how comics will use the rule of three and some comics like i said will go against that on purpose because they know that's how psychologically we learn best is in three so they'll do that against us they'll go two with us expecting a third and then shift gears almost like quentin tarantino would make his movies and start at the end and work his way back right. or work his way forward and so that i mean the rule of threes to me is simply it says 
that people learn best in threes. And um, just to put a perspective on that, we had a guest on my show one time talking about TEDx, and I asked him for some strategy uh, around something. I don't remember what the context was. And he said, well, I'll, t- I'll give you three strategies. And I said, okay. And he said, do you want to know why I said three? And I said, sure, I do. And I was just thinking, I always speak in three, so I didn't even wonder why. But he said, because there's only four numbers in the world. One, two, three, and far too many. And the message there is we learn best in threes. It's been proven psychologically. So that's what I mean by the rule of three. That's beautiful, man. And listen, I I find that you and I have a connection here because when I was a teenager, all I wanted to do was be a stand-up comic. Like that was... That was my goal. Now, of course, at 21, I had a spinal cord injury and now I'm in a wheelchair and now I can be a sit down comic. But the problem is that I also have become a dad. And as a result of that, I now have, uh, I've got three kids. I did that in three. And, um, but all three of them will remind me that I'm just not funny because um, I'm a dad and all dads are by, by definition to their kids, not actually funny. So, there's a couple different things I, I would love just to, to kind of get you to elaborate on if you don't mind. You talked a little bit about kind of the structure of the talk, but as far as getting one of those talks, you, you gave us kind of a foundational point. And the foundational point is if you're interested in doing a TED talk, find out or whatever, whichever of the branded talks you're in, find out who is on that organization committee, who is on the decision committee and start to build a relationship there. Okay. Uh, do you have any tips for how to do that? And then once you've done that, um, what's kind of the next step? Well, it, you know, it's, it's funny cause I can answer this in two ways because we have, we launched uh, about a month ago, a thing called blue talks and blue talks, the blue is BLU stands for business life universe. And I I've jokingly said, but it's kind of a good summary. It's like, if you picture chicken soup for the soul and TEDx having a baby, we're at Blue Talk. That's Blue Talk. And so I bring this up because at this point, and it'll change, but at this point, I'm the person that decides who gets on the Blue Talk stage. So your best move would be to reach out to me or, or find a way to get on my radar. But if you just send an email randomly, or once we have an application form, if you send it randomly, it's not going to get noticed as quick as somebody who gets on my radar. So now TEDx is a bit different because how big it is and because they're independently organized events. So you have separate committees or organizing committees who usually decide on the speakers. And so what I'm suggesting here is what most people will do. If there's 2000 applicants for a TEDx event, and that's not uncommon for 10 spots. So we're talking less than 1% chance. If there's that many and what you do is you get online and all you do is go to the nomination and fill out the info, answering the first things that come to your head and press send you've probably done yourself a disservice because A, they, they don't know who you are. So you think about it, if you were looking at 2000 applications, would you not think that at some point they're just gonna all run together and they're not gonna stand out? And so you've just thrown yourself into that pit. Secondly, um, if you do it that way, you might not know how they want answers. Like, And I don't mean like you should manipulate your answers, but you really should know what they're looking for in the sense that if they ask a question like, how many times have you delivered this talk? Most people, if the question's that open-ended, you would think, they want to know you've done it lots of times, so you're comfortable. But TED is a different thing. TED, they want to introduce this talk to the world. Yes. And I've talked to so many people said, oh, I told them. Every time I apply, I tell them I've done this talk lots of times. And I'll say, well, that's part of the challenge. That's what's going wrong. So my point is you need to understand the system. And then at the same time, as far as you asked about how to build those relationships, 
I'll, I'll put it this way because there is more of a science to it than this, but social media is your friend. So think about what are the ways you can do searches and research to figure out who's on the TEDx committee for this certain TEDx thing. So if you think about LinkedIn, for example, maybe it means you're typing in on, you know, in LinkedIn, you can search by companies and where they work and organizations. Maybe you're searching under that TEDx location and you're wanting to find out somebody who has right in their title of their LinkedIn profile that they're involved with TEDx insert name here. Right. And so there's lots of ways you can leverage social media to find out who's on the organizing committee. Uh, you asked, by the way, I, I never like to leave questions unanswered. You asked, what do I do after I've connected with them? You have two choices then. Some people feel they shouldn't kind of just follow along and, and build a relationship and then, you know, all of a sudden send in their application. And if that's you, if you're worried about that, then just reach out from the start. Hey, I see you're involved in the committee for TEDx, whatever. And I just want to introduce myself because I'm wondering what the process is to apply. At the very minimum, at least that way, they might say, well, send your application to this email address and I'll watch for it. Now, at least they know your name. So right. that's a short answer. Okay. What, okay. Um, and listen, I, for anyone that has a, uh, a sibling that is you know, of the opposite gender, what you find out is that sometimes the people that are interested in having a relationship with you will work through your sibling to get to know you. You know, so... Um, I've got a younger sister who was, she's two years younger than me. And what I found it and what she complained about at school was sometimes there were girls that wanted to be her friend so that they could find out about me. And I found the same thing that there were guys who were interested in being my friend so that they could find out about my, you know, and so it, it starts with the relationship and you can't start the relationship by saying, Hey, I'd like to be your friend so that I can get to know more about your sister. It starts with, you've got to, you've got to form the relationship and you know, kind of build from there. So just interesting concept. Uh, talk to me then, you've got a lot, of, a lot of expertise in this idea of communication, right? Because that's what TEDx and that's what these branded talks are about. That it's all about communicating and what you've hit on is a very key part that it's communicating novel concepts, it's communicating new ideas that have the potential to really shape the world. So what have you learned or what can you share with us about people who are excellent communicators or who are the, the good communicators that are really shaping the world? You know, it's, it's a great question because I'm going to start with a, a strange answer to that. And it's, I've asked this question a lot of times when I'm doing training for speakers. I've said, you know, I put uh, pictures on the wall and uh, you know, we all have our favorites of people and there's people we maybe don't like. And so, you know, I'll just say insert name here. I mean, I'll, I'll say, say, uh, for example, I'll use a picture of somebody that almost everybody knows as a speaker. Let's say Tony Robbins. So I'll put up three speakers that are really well known. And I'll say, what do these three speakers have in common? And people are answering everything you can think of. Like, and if they've, they've been to any of my stuff before, they might say the rule of three or they, they believe in emotional connection and content, whatever. But the answer that I'm looking for, which it's not one of these questions where you have a like, you're wrong by saying one thing. It's just, I'm looking for one thing that I want to share. And I have to say, I've asked this question a lot of times and I've only had one person ever get the answer I was looking for. And the answer that I'm looking for is that Steve Jobs isn't trying to be Tony Robbins. Tony Robbins isn't trying to be Lisa Nichols. Lisa Nichols isn't trying to be Les Brown. They're all the first insert name here. So in other words, what I'm saying out of this is don't try to be the next Tony Robbins. Try to be the first John Smith or whatever your name is. Right. And that is where it all starts. But I will tell you, more speakers, I think, than, than not go down the path of trying to be somebody 
for years before they realized what they were looking for was already inside to just become more of themselves. Dude, that hits the nail right on the head. Of course, you know, with my kids, my son has a sign in his room that says something like, stop trying to be somebody else, be the best you that you can be because everybody else is already taken, right? Um, we don't need, we don't need more of other people. What we need is everybody to bring in their unique skill set, their unique strengths, their unique experiences, and their unique understanding that that forms an expertise in them that no one else has because no one else has traveled their path. And, and in such, you know, they've got something unique that they bring. And I love it. Uh, that makes so much sense. Uh, listen, well, I, 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 I just going to finish if you don't mind too. Or yeah. can I have one last thing? Uh, I was just going to say, cause just to finish it for those that might hear that. I mean, cause I, I know if I was just starting, and I heard somebody say that. I was like, well, that sounds easy to say, but how do you live that? But what I was going to say about, for example, why I brought up those names is Lisa Nichols, I'm sure when she first started, she tried to be somebody else. Tony Robbins probably saw, Tony Robbins was so early in on it, he might not have had anybody else to try to be. But the point is they were all trying to be somebody else until they realized who they were. So what when I say that, I know it's not going to be easy, but what I'm saying is watch the people that you admire, watch the Tony Robbins, whoever that is, Watch what they're doing, figure out what it is that you like that they do, but then try to figure out, and maybe you have to sit down and write your mission statement and you have to write down what makes you unique, but figure out uh, how you can be the best you and then use the, the teachings and the fundamentals and the strategies that you're using, but just don't take what they're doing. And I know, again, it's not easy, but I just want to add that I'm not just lastly, you know, easily just throwing out there, uh, be the first you. I'm saying really at the end of the day, you're going to find out once you start speaking, no matter how much you try to fight this, at the end of the day, you're going to be liked more, have more clients and impact more lives when you can figure out exactly who you are and bring that to the stage. Dude, that's awesome. I love it. Listen, I, I can't believe that our half hour is almost up and our, the time has flown. I, if people are interested in getting in touch with you, where can they find you on the internet or where can they connect with you on social media and everything? So I, I'm going to say, I mentioned Blue Talks just in passing. Uh, Blue Talks is one way to get access to a lot of the stuff we're doing, and it's free anyway. So uh, if you go to bluetalks.com, right on there, the link to our YouTube page where you can see our Blue Talks that are being every week uh, being distributed. Uh, our podcast link is on there, so you can find it at Blue Talks Podcast. We have a book series as well. So everything Blue Talks is at bluetalks.com. And then the flip side of that is if speaking's not your thing, if, if you know, branded talks and brands aren't your thing and you don't want to watch other speakers uh, inspire and motivate you because it's not everybody's thing, then you can also connect with me and it's Corey Poirier, uh, C-O-R-E-Y-P-O-I-R-I-E-R. -E -E if you put that into Google, you'll find my social media channels, my website, all that kind of stuff. Rather than give you a whole bunch of websites, search my name or go to bluetalks.com. Beautiful. And listen, I'll put, the, I'll put the link to Blue Talks down in there and it's blue with no E, um, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, any social media stuff, I'll also put a couple links in there for anyone who is too lazy to Google you, which I don't understand why they would ever do. So, uh, Well, and you know what, Rob? Uh, I'll also add if people want, if I can offer it, if people want uh, a free book, we have a book called The Book of Public Speaking. I just thought now, since we talked about speaking most of the time, we have a book called The Book of Public Speaking. If people want a free digital version of it, they can go to thebookofpublicspeaking.com and grab a copy. So that's an extra bonus. Hey, you are entirely too kind. Thank you very much for that. Listen, you have indeed showed that you are smart. I have learned from you. It is now time for my favorite part of the show, and that is three questions to establish your humanity. Are you ready for this? 
I am all in. Beautiful. Are you a roller coaster person or not? Wow. Uh, I'm, I'm a yes, but I'm, I, I'm, there's a yes, but a caveat that I don't know if I would do the big, crazy, crazy roller coasters, but I'm not scared of roller coasters. If that's, if that's a fair answer, I'm not scared of them because the ones I go on are not the crazy, insane ones. Got it. No problem. I, so you are from Prince Edward Island and my understanding of Prince Edward Island is that they grow a lot of potatoes. What is your favorite potato favorite way to eat potatoes so this is not very cool or uh sexy or anything like that this is the least sexy way to eat a potato i would say is uh we just had some last night but they call them new potatoes in pei that's like that everybody wants to eat those uh but it's literally just um cooked with the peeling on it cut you know cut the potato and put butter on it and eat it i I actually am not like a mashed potato guy or anything else that's that's my favorite Okay, so, but the new potatoes are like, they're small potatoes, right? Right, yes. Yeah. yeah they're uh, super small. Which, delightful. So, I was going to go, I, I was going to put my money on, on poutine because, like, how do you not like poutine? And, and um, for anyone who is not familiar with it, um, it's it's sinfulness on a plate somehow. It's French fries and gravy and cheese and just everything that, could be unhealthy for you all put together and it's, it's delicious. Uh, and, all right. So last, last thing that's easy. What is your favorite way to spend the holidays? You know, as I get older, I'll answer it this way. As I get older, it's spend it with family. It, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't always that way. And I, and I lived away from home a lot of years, so I didn't even spend it with family, but as and now I have two kids, I'm getting older, you know, my, my mother is in my life and my girlfriend's father. I mean, so it's a really tiny family. My grandmother, there's not many of us. So I like us all getting together because it's the one time we make that happen. That's, that's awesome. And I don't think that there's any better way to spend, not that there's a wrong way to spend the holidays, but uh, the, as you've said, the older you get, the more value you put on family. And it's great. Hey, Corey Poirier, thank you so much for being on the show. You have indeed been a smart person and we've all learned from you. Uh, For all my listeners, I'll say thanks for tuning in today. I hope that you've enjoyed this as much as I have. If you you have not yet, please uh, check out our website, follow us on social media, give us a review, anything that you can do to interact with us, we'd love to hear from you. And at the end of the day, I will remind you as always that when you stop learning, you stop living. Have a great day, everybody.